J. Kyle Mann from The Ringer talks development, young players, and Keontae George. A thought on him. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Two championship contenders in the first four games. Denver, Phoenix. Bonafide. They'll be in the hunt come April, May, June. They're in the mix. And the other teams the Jazz have played, pretty good too. Clippers and Kings. Yes, Phoenix didn't have the full boat. They didn't have every single person available. But Kevin Durant is the apex predator of apex predators. He had an easy night handling himself and still scoring. So the reality of this situation is very different from what you would think initially. But Keontae George did not shy away from that. And through the first three games, it's been very encouraging that he hasn't shied away from that. I love the mentality. I love the mindset. I want you to hear what Will Hardy has to say about Keontae because Phoenix and against the Suns was his best outing, in my opinion. It was his best point of the three games so far. But there's still plenty for him to learn, digest, get better at. But as far as knowing that he deserves to be out there, not shying away from it, he is all of that. This is an open mic night. He looks comfortable on stage. He knows what to do with the microphone, with the microphone stand. He has a swagger about him. You know how much I prioritize FGAs, field goal attempts. When I look at players, it tells the hierarchy on teams and how players see themselves. Maybe if they have a outsized sense of hierarchy. But against Phoenix, Keontae had the second most attempts on the team. He took 12 shots. Number one was Lowry Markkinen, the undisputed best player on the Jazz. So he's not afraid of the moment. And he played so well. 27 minutes, 12 points, 6 assists, 7 rebounds, just 2 turnovers. He did less of the gambling. I'm going to talk to J. Kyle Mann about preseason Keontae, how he did gamble, how he was trying to force things defensively when they weren't there, and even still, his defensive effort can be something that, if you're picking nits, you would pick. But that's natural for a young player. And as he continues to get reps, as he continues to get his conditioning, which needs to be talked about, he plays 27 minutes last night on the second night of a back-to-back, and he's winded. He's sucking air. And if the conditioning, NBA-level conditioning, isn't out there, then he shouldn't be starting. His time's going to come. This isn't Jerry Sloan, Darren Williams, in that Jerry had a very old-school way of seeing rookies, and he would test players. He would test you to see how much you wanted it, how much you wanted to be the starter. Will Hardy's not doing that. Will Hardy, for the credibility of the team, can't put a rookie out there who isn't of NBA fitness to start games. It's just not there right now. And that's okay. He'll develop into that. His time will come. It's the reason why they drafted him, to have this opportunity. 
Danny tells this story about interacting with KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. When he would go out on the road, he would tell them, I'm trying to find players that are better than you. That's the job. But Keontae's hype train is absolutely deserved. And it's fun to see the early goings of this season and how he's adapting. And the arrow's only going up. Here's Will Hardy after the game. He's representing himself really, really well. I think he played a really good game. Um, you know, his two turnovers that he had, one he dribbled off his foot and the second one just popped out of his hand. And, you know, I told Keontae a couple of things. I told him, number one, when he played with the starters, like, I don't care how many years of experience they have. You are the point guard right now, and I'm using you to communicate to them. So you're going to have to open your mouth, and that means there's going to be times you're going to have to tell Lowry he's in the wrong spot. And that's uncomfortable for a 19-year-old rookie. Um, but I think his decision-making continues to be good. Um, I thought the shots that he took were the right decision. I thought he made a lot of really good passes. You know, he ended up with six assists, and it very easily could have been 11 um, had some shots gone in. But, you know, he's learning on the job. And... I thought, obviously, in the second half, he was very fatigued. Um, but in that moment, we understood that, and he knew that. But it was about trying to push through it and not bailing him out. Um, because Keontae's a tough kid, and he's doing a really, really good job. So, um, you know, he's going to watch film and try to learn from tonight's game and come back and play Denver. But I think overall you know, four for 12 and two for eight from three, it didn't feel like that. Like, I thought he made really good decisions. He had a couple go in and out. Um, you know, we're always, especially with the young players, you're really trying to evaluate how they're playing, not necessarily what the result of each shot is. And I think he made a lot of good decisions tonight. And he did in front of his college coach. Scott Drew was there to catch the Suns game. Wasn't great for the team, but was pretty good individually for Keontae George. Many thought on the spacing before going to Kyle Mann. The Jazz need to figure that out. Against L.A., it was much better. And this is related to guard play. Guard play was much better. Guard play was pivotal in picking up the win against the Clippers. Colin Sexton took possessions on Paul George and played hellacious defense. Jordan Clarkson, everybody's talking about the Kawhi possession at the end of the game, but he had a couple right before that that made life difficult on Leonard as well. His shot making, pivotal in scoring that win. And then Chris Dunn, Chris Dunn, he played with the final lineup. Kelly Olynyk was out there with Lowry and John. More natural spacing for John Collins, but the group of starters needs to figure out the spacing and it's directly related to how the guards are playing as well. Keontae, the thing that keeps me high on him is he was able to find buckets for Walker Kessler when he was playing with the starters against the Suns. He found him ways to get him interacting with the basketball. One was a feed to Walker, and he ultimately kicks out for a Lowry three. However, it happens keeping Walker engaged so that not only is he going to get his offensive touches, he's going to continue to do defensive work and get rebounds, and that's going to help this team. Defensively, it's been up and down. 
But the mentality of Will Hardy is offensively, if things are going well, you're going to give more effort defensively. That's the thinking. People almost naturally are offensive focused. And if shots are falling, the energy will continue on the other end. The zone can work, but if they're allowed makes against the zone, they're playing zone this year, then there's a loss of belief. And mentally, that changes the outlook. So John interacting with Walker. Walker is closer to Clint Capella than he is to Kelly Olenek. That's going to be a work in progress. And it should be a work in progress. Three games in. Plenty of teams are figuring out their rotations, the combinations that work, and what it's going to look like once you're in the thick of NBA games. It's early. So stick around and keep an eye on those lineups. That's the fun of following the Utah Jazz. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. J. Kyle Mann. He does basketball over at The Ringer on One Shining Podcast. Comes out on Mondays. Tate Frazier. He does videos for The Ringer as well. He's a draft guy. So we have to talk about the rookies. Taylor Hendricks. Bryce Sensabaugh. KG. Development. The likes. Here he is. He's J. Kyle Mann of The Ringer on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. If you go into it, I think it, it all just kind of comes back to expectation which is sort of true in life across the board in general, obviously. But uh, I think context, age is context, I think, whenever you're talking about development and whenever you look at um, even guys that come into the league, you know, they're guys that are came in, like Sasha Vizenkov for the Kings came in. He's like 28 years old. You know, it's like you got to have your expectations for, for uh, someone who's 20, who's 19, who's 22, who's 28. Uh, they're all going to be different. And context Team-wise, is very different. You know, the situation for the Jazz is very different than for the Miami Heat or a team, like a, a team that's really contending. You know, the the jobs on the ship are sort of spoken for, and you kind of have to submit yourself maybe to um, a, a, a a lesser role, something a little bit smaller, something that uh, is going to come along slowly. But um, I, I think in that sense, it's it it's. Uh, it, it's uh, it makes it easier if you go into it with that mindset. If you come, you know, and and, the, and that kind of affects sort of the growth plate for every individual player. If somebody's a little bit older and they maybe struggle in a certain area, like there are certain skills that come around slower. And this is all kind of based from my own personal philosophy and and from just you know I'm always looking to talk to coaches and get their perspective too, who have worked with players of these certain ages and and you know go off of what they've seen. I try to work those things into what I what I think. And then there's also historical context. You go and you look and, and I, I lean on my, my friends who are like historical experts, like, like Ben Taylor, he's like a whiz at that stuff. Um, you, you kind of go back and look over history and say, okay, these guys grew in this way. This is a reasonable expectation. So, you know, there's just this gigantic, I don't know, just kind of knotted. It's like a huge knotted ball of yarn and you kind of just have to slowly untangle it as, as you, you know, you come into it with, you develop your eye, I think, and you develop your own personal philosophy basketball-wise, but I think you have to lean on other people and, and kind of just insist on staying a student as you cover stuff. Uh, otherwise, you'll get left behind, I think. 
What's the most recent thing that you've learned being a student of this? Oh, well, goodness. Oh, let's see. That's a tough one. I usually spend the summers leaning into like more academic, like listening to podcasts that I wouldn't necessarily just listen to for pure entertainment. I'll go and listen to like coaches talking to coaches and things like that who maybe don't even care that much about whether or not the product is super presentable. I'll listen to some of those during the summer. There are good versions of that. Basketball Immersion is a great resource and a great podcast if people ever want to just learn. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I would I would say just uh, lis- listening to NBA coaches talk about just working with guys, motivating guys. I think one of the most interesting things I've heard in recent memory is um, Chris Finch was talking about communication I think this is true across basketball and other workplaces too that um, being able to communicate ideas effectively is is more powerful than even having the best ideas sometimes you know sometimes you'll have an overlap where a person has the best ideas and they're a great communicator but just being a good salesman of a philosophy um, goes a long way and I, I always try to keep that in mind whenever I judge coaches because uh, just because a coach got fired people will be like this guy's an idiot he sucks I'm always like, let's wait. That, that he might have just been a bad salesman <laughs> of what he what he was trying to do. So I always try to keep that stuff in mind. I was listening to Will Hardy on Slapping Glass, which is also another one one of these like coach podcasts, and he was talking about don't keep score. Something could happen one day, and if you bring it up tomorrow, that puts you in in the wrong scenario to keep going forward to keep learning. You're keeping score. You're not exactly trying to absorb the information now. So those resources can be huge when it comes to development of players, which is what the Jazz are going through right now. And what I'll hit on with somebody that you're familiar with, having covered the NBA draft, having watched him, I'm sure, at Summer League, Keontae George. He's exploding onto this team. Everybody's very excited about him. He has his own hype train. What stands out to you when you watch Keontae George? Uh, I mean, I think the easiest, like right in front of your face, kind of like marketable skill set applies to the modern game is he has a live dribble skill set. And that's, that's huge. And, you know, especially he's not, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but you'll, you'll encounter guys who are great shooters and sometimes they'll translate to the next level and you'll, and you'll be like, why is is this guy making shots? What's going on with this? You know, it's like having that ability to that multi-directional sort of like quality to your shooting, be able to get to your own shot. I mean, I've compared it to it's, it's a little Lillardy. Like I'm not going to say put him on that level. He's got to go earn that obviously, but it's something that Lillard Lillard and obviously guys like Steph and, you know, these, these guys that can, come across a, a ball, come over a ball screen. And I would say, shoot it in a phone booth. Like he has that, you know, you gotta have that ability to shoot the ball. Jamal Murray obviously is incredible at this. Um, you gotta have a certain level of a comfort zone shooting it, moving number one, but also having somebody trailing you really tightly. Keontae's shown that kind of stuff. Um, he can also spot up for you. He's also shown some, some, uh, flashes of like playing off the catch and, and being able to make some of those like weak side reads and things like that, those things are coming along. But I think that's the, that's the thing immediately. Um, Cause that, from that standpoint, if that's your square one, that is, we're talking about like 
expectations for players at certain ages and things. If you're that age and you have that skill set, that is a potential star type skill set. So I think that's why Keontae is so intriguing, which also makes it kind of interesting why he fell in the draft. If if you know if a player has that kind of growth plate potential in their game, um, the Jazz are lucky that they snagged him at that spot. Honestly, all things considered. Well, being 19, playing with multiple guards at Baylor has to help because they're trying to do that now with the guard flux that they have with Colin Sexton, Taylor Horton Tucker. They've got Chris Dunn, who's a resurgent project on this team. How do you see him play in those multiple guard lineups at Baylor in something that might help him here at this level? Uh, I think if, you know if you go into a season with personnel that lends itself, I, I've I've enjoyed Drew's approach in recent years of just like accumulating talent and not necessarily being super obsessed with whether like you know if we have some dissonance between a couple pieces in terms of size, like okay, let's not shy away from that. Let's we have this talent. Let's let's oh, and if, if you have dissonance in that spot if you have if you have guys that overlap I know Calvin Booth got a lot of flack for talking about overlap and player well he just there was a lot of discussion maybe not feet maybe not pushback but uh just that that idea of dissonance in the NBA it can be a little tougher defensively because you can run into problems but in college uh when you have guys like that um it lends itself it sort of implies that you're gonna have to play a certain way you know you're not gonna play a half court grinder dump it in, let's get a post-touch, which, you know, teams aren't really doing that in general, but it, it sort of suggests that you're going to play faster uh, because you're going to be sort of in this gorilla sort of implied place with your personnel. So he's used to playing in a faster, you know, in a, in a, in a faster pace. He's used to having the ball making quick touch kind of decision-making, and that's, that's the NBA game these days. So, you know, guys that play in these offenses that are used to being efficient or they're, they're, it's not a shock to them when they get to the NBA game, how fast it is, how, you, how the, the speed of the reads, the speed of how quickly you need to get your jump shot off. I think those things absolutely, absolutely do prepare you, you know, for, for the college game. It makes it a little easier to, to kind of like imagine or just pro- project what a player like Keontae would look like at the next, at the next level. What do you think is the, biggest learning curve for a guard coming into the NBA? There's a lot. I mean, we talked about the speed. Um, the speed. I always say the speed of the NBA game is the cruelest filter for a person's game. Right. You'll, you'll have guys come into the league who you think of them as fast shooters. I always think of um, Tyler Hero as a guy who, you know, was seen as like a quick shooter, but he came into the league and had to make a lot of adjustments. You, you'll just see guys like that, like Kimball Walker famously was a guy who was a quick dribble shooter in college came into the league had to make a lot of adjustments to adjust to the speed well that was his size um for every player though I I think the the consistency of how you you have to play hard like I've seen a little bit of that in Keontae in the early goings of the season I've seen moments where maybe in the past he could kind of take a little like not take a full-on break but he there's a level of sauntering I think that can happen among like elite guards where you're like okay you know and I think Sometimes guys have to kind of recalibrate what is respect defensively in the NBA. Like, okay, like, no, everybody's good here. I think for sometimes that can be a little bit of a wake-up call or they just have to acclimate to that. Not saying that he doesn't respect who he's playing, but I've noticed his sort of resting heartbeat defensively at times. Also learning when it's appropriate to gamble. What, what There's a sort of like calibration of, 
I always call it positional wagering, you know, you got, and, and some of that factors into the respect for how good players are in the NBA. He, he gambled a few times early in the preseason. I noticed sometimes in his off ball cuts, I was just like, maybe seizing space with sort of a purposefulness is something that I, I, I want to kind of watch him over the course of the season. Cause we know we can shoot. We know things like that. The efficiency of his decision-making, all those things I think are, are challenges for, for guards who are in the NBA though. Yeah. I watched it. I rewatched the game on Wednesday, and he gambled on a pass from De'Aaron Fox to Harrison Barnes, and it led to a Barnes three. And Barnes was unconscious Wednesday. Kind of in that moment, you have to realize ball might be going to to Harrison Barnes in the flow of this game. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. That's what I mean about the respect thing. Is sometimes you know you got to know that um, what the stakes are. You know, I, I see that in college players a lot. They're like, I can get this steal, and of course, there's there's a le- there's a certain amount of confidence the younger players have that is wonderful at times. It, it's it's a sort of like um, you, there's a <laughs> there, there's a sort of just blind confidence that you. I think you kind of gets worked out of you as you get a little older. But uh, I don't know. Just kind of just kind of you notice in older college players when they come into the NBA, they're a little more ready for that. You know, you notice, like, I just feel like the gambling and things like that, it's more common for guys who kind of are in that like 1920 ish range, uh, who aren't quite ready to defend full time at the NBA level. Now let me tell you about first colony mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. heard a lot about his potential as a 3 and D player, but what did you see from Taylor Hendricks that vaulted him into this status as being a lottery pick? Um, I, you obviously the shooting is, is the first thing kind of on the, on the bullet list. You know, he, he shot the ball really well in a variety of ways last year. I had it pulled up here that, uh, over the course of when Kevin O'Connor and I were doing that show, our draft show last year, I, I, we spent a lot of time talking about his shooting versatility uh, in transition. I mean, he was he was just blistering hot. He did. He was great as a pick and pop guy. I mean, he only took like thirteen or fourteen shots, but he hit like over sixty percent of them, darn near forty percent uh, from three, just in catch and shoot kind of situations. The other thing is uh, he played as a big when he was younger, so you get you get a lot of sort of. Um, there's an interesting thing that happens with guys. Um, who are used to sort of being at the back of the action and sort of developing that mental muscle of uh, processing a lot of things in front of them at once. Um, I think you can kind of see that with, um, it's it's sort of a thing that when quarterbacks come over and play basketball, you see them a little more ready to process the game or cornerbacks too. It's just, it's it's a sort of thing that you develop when you're younger. That's a rabbit hole you can really go down with with prospects if, if you ever want to, but um yeah, he's 
the thing that concerned me coming in was I, I wondered what kind of offense would suit him best because the stuff off of the dribble was um, not uh, – it was a little – it reminded me a little bit of Jabari Smith a, a little bit because I was kind of like, well, I'm a little hesitant to project him to grow in X, Y, Z, you know, these certain ways because handle is so important towards like bigger forwards developing into stars. Um all the all the star forwards in the NBA. If you look at the guys who are really really grown, they're all guys who can really handle the ball. So that gave me some reticence with him. But as a spot up player, I th- I thought that he'd be ready to go pretty early on. We and we've seen some glimpses of it, but uh, I'll be interested interested to see what he does in the G League and watching that. Yeah, he needs reps, and it's going to be interesting to watch the G League because of how fast that league is. They're running up and down. It's one of the higher pace leagues that you can go to, whether you're comparing to overseas, other places, they're playing the same offense as the Jazz. They're playing the same defense as the Jazz. They're trying to really develop players at that spot, and Taylor Hendricks is going to be thrown right into the fire with that Stars team. Yeah, and that's good. You know, and and I, um, you observe, not you specifically, JP, but like the the general, you know, you, you observe people talk about the G League sometimes in a way uh, that frankly annoys me. Like I'll hear people talk about it in a way like I, I think it has to be like impressed upon people how many good basketball players that there are in the world right now, number one. And number two, that the G League can be this incredible tool. People people will have this mindset. It, it's almost like, I don't know if it's the my player generation, you know, I'm I'm older than you, I'm sure. But like, you know, like you'll hear people talk about and observe this kind of mentality in people sometimes where they're like, well, you can't be doing this by this age. It's kind of like, I think the version of it for me was like when you were younger, it's like, you can't be playing JV when you're a sophomore or junior. My God, the shame. You know, it's like, you should just quit playing at that point. They, you see some of that mentality in play. Like, you got to be by year two, you got to be seen on the sidelines in your sickest fit, you know, at summer league. Because if you're playing in summer league, after your rookie year, oof, the embarrassment, you know, there's just this, it's idiotic. There's, there's this like anti, it's, it's almost like anti-intellectualism in in the basketball world where it's like people, because of the pride of like hitting these milestones that are very like NBA 2K, my player, like we got to be doing this by this age, everybody's path is different. And you'll, and the, the guys that are the most refreshing are the ones who really seize the G League opportunity, I always compare it to the the danger room from X Men. Where where else are you going to get the quality of competition? Everybody in the G League is clawing for their life. You're not going to get reps like that. That it's not that they're meaningless reps. You want to try to win, but they are reps where you're getting high quality competition. You're getting NBA schemes, oftentimes schemes with, that are you know paralleling like the 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 main roster like Taylor's going to yep. be doing uh, and you're getting these chances to like really grow your decision making or whatever it is that you're working on. And to reject that is just frankly idiotic. I get tired of people saying it. I get tired of people stigmatizing the the G league. And if you're on a team that has especially an overload of good players like the jazz, uh, if you're rejecting the G league, I'm not saying Taylor is or anyone is, I'm just kind of making fun of this hypothetical thing I see. Uh, it gets under my skin. It annoys me. And like Keldon Johnson is an awesome example for the Spurs of somebody who came into. I know I'm ranting now, JP. Sorry. Uh, he no, this came is great. The NBA. <laughs> he came into the NBA as a guy who had played, who had not been on ball a ton, 
And I was a little worried about him as a Kentucky person. I live here uh, at Rufford, Kentucky, but I was worried about him growing in that way. And the Spurs were like, okay, go and play on our, our G League team and get some reps. You talked about reps. Get the reps. Work. And he did. And he got a lot better. So, like, we got to stop doing this. If you want players to get better, stop making fun of them when they're in the G League because I think you're showing your, your rear end when you say that. Like, so, anyway, I'm – I'm encouraged by Taylor being in the G League to answer your question. <laughs> I'm glad you are because there were some harumphing. There were articles written, and this happened. Same thing that happened last year is happening this year about the first-round pick that the Jazz had is going to start in the G League. This happened with Ochai Abaji in, in the press last year, how unprecedented it is for somebody at this pick to be playing in the G League this quickly or not playing any minutes in the preseason. And you saying that is absolutely the way to think about how Taylor's going to be in the G League. He's going to get an opportunity. Not everybody's ready at 19 years old to play NBA basketball. I don't know how many games he's played in his life. He has to develop that basketball IQ by just getting out there and getting those reps. So it's huge to hear you say that because it happened last year and I was the fact that it was happening this year, I was feeling like Groundhog Day, that we're doing the same discourse of a first-round pick playing in the G League. This is a bad thing. Chris Dunn was in the G League last year. He's 28, and he became a player that some people think he should start a point guard for the Jazz this season. Like He, he developed his offensive game in the G League with the Capital City Go-Go. It helps. It's a great tool that teams are starting to use and Everybody's watching when you're down the G League. If anything that showed, people are watching the G League and looking for NBA players to come to the big roster. Yeah, yeah. It, it, especially if you're a player who has sort of the the net under you of an investment to go down there and, and, and work, you should seize it. You should seize everything. It's something that's... Um, I don't know, and it's something I think you feel a little more clarity on as you get a little bit older, where you're like, there's there's a lot of opportunities for me to learn, and that, like there's a lot of opportunity. Like, I think my dad maybe told me this when I was a kid. He was just like, the more time you spend pretending you know something is the more time you pers- you're, you're you're just delaying, you know, actually knowing it. So it's like it really, really just like admitting your ignorance quickly is the fastest way to grow and get smarter. Uh, like, so stop. Don't be a know-it-all. You know, seize, seize the opportunities to to grow and to learn and stuff like that because you'll go through your life being an idiot or not growing at something. And it's uh, I'm equating that to basketball. I just um, I'm I really enjoy it when I see players seize the opportunity to go down there and work because it's it's an incredible resource, like you said. Especially and every situation's different. You know, maybe a roster is not totally packed to the gills like the jazz weirdly have a lot of assets like you know for a team that's not necessarily a contender they have a lot of guys that they're this thing hasn't taken shape yet so but there are a lot of guys so it's not an insult for for somebody to go down and work in the g league it's it's just not bryce sensiva also going to get that opportunity he comes out of ohio state they didn't have a great season last year a lot of ups and downs but they had a good big 10 tournament what do you see from Bryce Sensba that scoring is the the thing that leads the marquee with that guy? But mm-hmm. what else can he provide at an NBA level? Uh, yeah, I mean he's just giving you another 
another guy who can who can put the ball in the basket, like a big physical driver. I feel like Ohio State has had a few of those lately. Um, he was somebody I was I was not as over the moon about, I, not necessarily like down, but I was just kind of like in the middle of the row. But he's he's definitely a guy who, if he can work to add some of that, you know, some guys come into the league and they're a little more playmaking leaning. Some guys come in, they're a little more scoring leaning. If he can, I, I think Ochai was a little more like that, you know, a guy that played off the catch and we wanted to see him grow G League. Awesome for him. Um, Sintabas, similar similar path, I think, developmentally. Um, but I I love like big spot of guys who are physical. That's something that I've really kind of fallen in love with in the past couple of years because that, something happened in the sport where, we were like, well, the game is so spaced out. We got to get these Gumby wings who can kind of fly around these Mikhail Bridges type guys. And then we, you know, we started to, we started to get a kind of a glut of those types of players. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, the whole league's skinny. So we start having these like spot up guys who are really, really stout come in and it's like, lo and behold, they're, they're sort of wreaking havoc. Like you're, you havoc, you're, you're like Grant Williams type players. Um, since somebody that can punish a mismatch he can hit an open shot he can get in the middle of the floor i really like his potential too is like uh it being sort of a help defender physically you know i think he's somebody who could uh you know if this were football he can he could stop the run kind of a thing he's, he's just got a great frame but uh it, it's a similar thing to ochai i'm going to be watching to see how he grows that sort of like decision making playmaking part of his game think is behind the culture war between pro hoops and college basketball i feel like you thought about this for a while to ask me that question uh <laughs> i think about it often because i don't understand why we can't love each other equally why we can't love both sports you have to pick one it's weird yeah oh that's amazing uh i i actually i, I visited salt lake last year for the first time but uh yeah I'm, I'm an eastern kind of college basketball country guy as well um tried and true i, I think the two the two kind of the, the sort of misalignment between the two things are for different reasons i mean there, there's a lot of i hate to say this about my college basketball people but there's a lot of kind of there's unjustified kind of uh, anger and annoyance and sort of lingering things from the 90s when you hear older people talk about the NBA. You know, they don't care, they don't defend, things like that. And I'm just like, that's it's just, it's tired. Like, the NBA, obviously, def you defend or you sit, basically. I mean, there are bad teams, obviously, that do it worse than others. Um, for the NBA, I think they just kind of, they don't have the, they don't have the built in, like the, they don't understand the generations of like fervor for, for the, and the lore. Like they just don't understand it. They don't care. Uh, so they have no stomach for with the, you know, quote unquote, bad basketball. When I watch college basketball, I notice that the players aren't as good, but the, the, the sort of level of the competition doesn't bother me. Like I have video coordinator friends who are just like, can't watch it, can't watch it. They just yep. roundly dismiss it. And uh, that has never been a thing for me. Like, you know, I'll watch I'll watch EYBL games. I'll be like, you know, is the, is the quality of this competition as good as what, you know, as the highest level? Lord, no. But there's something to watch. You know, there's something, whether it be an individual player and I'm thinking about what that guy could be. I enjoy kind of looking for those, you know, thumbing through the rack and trying to find something that's interesting and, and take, you know, and take it home and think about it. But 
I don't know. Do you do you have an do you have a take on this uh, beyond what beyond that? It's weird because college football doesn't get this. You you embrace and accept that. Oh, Caleb Williams. He's an NFL talent. He's playing by around some guys who might not make the NFL, but it's okay. But that's not accepted when Keontae George is on Baylor or when um, somebody is is playing in the Big East and you have to watch it on Fox Sports One. I'm sorry, it's it's weird how you you take what it is because. I know the players aren't good. I'm not a dummy. People aren't dumb when they see that there are different teams, different leagues, and there are different styles of playing. You don't get the the same style in the college game, both on football and the basketball side. And I'm I'm surprised that people don't engage with that. the The fact that the game's shorter probably also hurts NBA brain because they're always thinking 48 minutes, 48 minutes, 48 mm-hmm. minutes, and um the shot clock being a little longer also hurts it. Uh, yeah, the shot clock thing, I definitely, there are people who think that the shot clock thing should go way down to lower levels so that that would actually help development. I've heard people say that. that right. I think that's a really interesting theory. Uh, there are also people on the other end of the spectrum. I, I think I heard Seth Greenberg, he he uh, bristled at that and thought that was the most ridiculous thing. Virginia Tech coach who who passed on Steph Curry for, for the NBA people listening to this who don't know who I'm talking about, but um, yeah, uh, I think a lot of it, it comes down to just like lack of exposure to it equals like lack of, you know, they just don't care about the, the stakes, you know, it's, and it, I think both parties kind of have that going on for them. You know, people here just, we don't have a team in Louisville, so they just, they just don't really care. You know, like the Pacers are two hours away from here. Nobody here cares about the Pacers. Like it's, it's very, very compartmentalized like that. Um, so I don't know, man. It's it's uh, it's hilarious for me. For me, observing both camps, it is pretty hilarious. Just how one doesn't have time for the other. There are a lot of there are some NBA like fans here, but it's not it's not as much of a community, really. Lore is so huge with college basketball. In who were the great players? Who are the good the great teams to remember? And maybe the NBA doesn't have that because it's only been seventy five years. And college basketball might have a bigger jump with teams in in the early uh, parts of history. Like this is the fiftieth year of jazz basketball, and people are always surprised that the Jazz started in New Orleans. You know, they they don't know about Pistol Pete just yet, and they're starting to learn and, and learn more about it because when you bring up Pistol Pete, you obviously bring up his college career, averaging forty four points a game being the star of all stars at LSU is a statue in front of the building. They're starting to learn more of the history of, okay, this, this franchise has been here a little bit. And these are the stories to remember when you think about it. Lore is a huge, huge part of college basketball. And as somebody who jumped into the Syracuse thing, you learn about 2003 and Carmelo and you're contractually obligated to love a mid-range shot. So you okay? I'm just laughing at how young you are. <laughs> you learn about 2003. Shut up. That's what I say to that. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you I mean, say I'm, that? I'm still like nine. I was here. I watched this, it a little bit. Year when a pterodactyl stole the ball in the middle of the game. It was way. It was a weird. You know, <laughs> his it was Hakeem Warwick, and he blocked the shot. Yes. 
Good, good one. Nice. That was quick. Uh, yeah, I, I like, um, I, th- I think that the thing that is different is you're, you're spot on with the lore. The lore, the lore is the thing that gets embellished and passed on to, you know, when I was a kid, my dad would be like Sam Bowie. And, you know, he talk about all these different things and create these fantastical visions of a time. Like, you know, I couldn't imagine watching these guys play of course, YouTube now you can watch these guys play, and it kind of takes away some of the, the the mystique away from it. But that's kind of you know that's a thing, and and uh, frankly, frankly, that's kind of the thing that builds community and, and, and you know gross fans and things like that. And you have that in the NBA, but uh, yeah, the the lore the lore is a big part of it for sure. Did you enjoy watching Kentucky beat Utah in the NCAA tournament? Back in, uh, in the late '90s, back in the day, yeah, I, I, uh, I did enjoy it. That was a formative time for me. Uh, those Utah teams were fun. I mean, obviously, Andre Miller was a monster. I enjoyed Andre, you know, beating the snot out of North Carolina and Arizona. Those, those were talented yep. teams at the time. I was thinking, yes, beat those teams. You know, I was like, please <laughs> knock them off so we don't have to play them. Um, not realizing that he was going to be stressful. Now I was a kid when those games happened. I, I think Utah had the rough luck of playing some pretty good Kentucky teams like uh, two or three years in a row. Uh, but the Keith Van Horn team got knocked out by Ron Mercer in the in, in Kentucky too in '97. But uh, yes, I, I absolutely did. Though that that was a time that spoiled me because you know when you're a young kid, and I feel bad for kids who grew. I'll say compared to like the Warriors, there's a kid. There's a kid probably in the Bay Area who grew up and that's all he knew was winning. And he might have a rough period where Golden State doesn't win anything for 15, 20 years. He was like, I thought this is the way it was. That's how I was as a Kentucky fan. I was like, I was like, we win every year. That's why we go to the title game every year, right? Obviously. And then we didn't go to another one until like 2012. <laughs> so, you know, it can spoil you for sure. Alex Jensen was on staff last year and he was on those Utah teams and he would talk about playing Kentucky, playing North Carolina, playing in a Final Four, playing for Rick Majerus, who's a good college basketball name. So, yeah, we we heard a lot about it. Alex Jensen, the thing I remember about him, I remember him vividly uh, on those teams. I love the way he played. Uh, I, I just remember him wearing basically like a Hanes beefy tee under his yeah. jersey, and it always <laughs> like it was absolutely soaked. I was always just like, oh, God. Uh, so I was – t-shirt and New Jersey guy too but that that always stuck with me he was he just fully embraced the t-shirt I loved it did you expect this out of Walker Kessler so early in the way that he's been able to come into this team and be the starting center he was on he no short answer I, I definitely underestimated him I thought he could definitely be sort of like a drop big in the NBA because he's just so gigantic um and and he moves pretty well he was in an odd situation at North Carolina where he had some kind of offensive ambition so he transfers to play for Bruce Pearl and on paper you think like okay Pearl's gonna let him but you know he goes and he plays and Jabari Smith was victim to this too just played on some teams with some guards that had really really poor self-awareness on those Auburn teams they were if you want to get somebody to not like college basketball, that was that for me to hear my peers try to watch Jabari Smith, I would get these texts and just be like, I want to, you know, stab my eyes out watching these guys take bad shots. So I think some of that could that can be hard when you're evaluating somebody um, who they're playing with. So you have to really, really try to read between the lines. But I definitely underestimated him for sure. And the offensive stuff is 
something to look forward to. You know, I, I remember we were in Salt Lake for a live show last year and we were talking with the crowd about, about Walker and Rudy being gone. People didn't seem overly sore about Rudy being gone. <laughs> I guess Walker held that, but uh, I was trying to encourage them with like, this guy could eventually, eventually could, uh, could take a wide open three or two. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't put it past him. He was shooting threes in preseason. He was doing it. So it might be in this game. And I talked to Bruce Pearl before he came onto the team that offseason when he got traded here. And I asked Bruce, like, what was his game in, in high school? And he said he was shooting threes. That's, that's That was his game, step back threes. And he was more of an offensive player than a defensive player, which I don't believe because you're seven feet tall. And I'm sure he was still a pretty good defensive player. But the threes part was in his back back when he was playing high school. Yeah, you see some of that. Um, it can, you know, as as shots and possessions become a little more scrutinized as you get into the the yeah. organized setting, you'll see some of these guys. I mean, like Jade McDaniels is an example I bring up all the time. Jade McDaniels thought he was a Durant clone when he was in high school. And you watch this wonderful self-awareness come over him when he got to the college level where he was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm 6'10 and have really long arms and I'm fast. And he turned into this defensive monster like we see now. Um, yeah, some, sometimes you're sort of a precious Achua, another guy who did that. Uh, it's I always enjoy seeing the guys embrace just having their the uh, the, the sort of like self awareness to adapt and to to lean into something. Maybe the other stuff will come later. Hopefully it does. But uh, it's always it's key. You know, I, I really I really think having that sort of adaptability is what I always call it. I look for it in young players. Um, just the willingness to accept a different role. Um, instead of being, you'll see guys come into the league and just ram their head into the wall that I do this, I do this, I do this, and they won't accept anything different. They won't embrace a different role. Um, so that's something that takes IQ, that takes intelligence. You, you hope to see that in young players. And I don't, I don't fault people for doing that because they've gotten to the NBA doing it one way. They got to that point at, on some level, like I respect that, that you, you made it to this level. So many people don't, but yeah, it's true. It does hold hold people back did you find a musical comp for james harden that you liked there <laughs> there were a few that i liked the moment when i posed that question um i realized how complex it was because we were like well um he's he's really really brilliant on a personal level and i was like he he has an mvp so that means he had a hit album uh somebody said eric clapton they were like a guy who was like brilliant was in some great ensembles i like that one I had a problem with people saying like um like Frank Ocean. It was like I know people are mad at Frank Ocean for the for the you know the stuff this past summer with Coachella and all that. It hurt me to hear people see, say D'Angelo. Oasis was an interesting one that kept coming up again and again. They were like, you know, that one's a little before your time, but they they had a big album in the '90s, and then they just kind of like the drama just you know pittered off in the end. I don't know that I necessarily have one. I just thought that that was a fun. Uh, discussion. Did you have one that stuck out for you? Uh, is there somebody from your musical generation that that rung a bell? I'm not. I'm not that young because I did go to a Noel Gallagher concert this this off season. So don't did don't really? put that okay. on me. Yeah, I saw the, the high flying <laughs> birds. I like that Oasis okay. take. It's true. They're embattled. The fact that they have two sides to them, Liam and Noel. Jeez, James Harden has two two modes: happy and not happy. And not happy appears to be winning out most of the time, at least of late. 
Yeah, and Oasis could absolutely get back together and make a bazillion dollars, and they won't do it. So I don't know if it's yes. like James, James could stick around and buy in. And uh, you listen to Noel talk about it, and he's like, I'm not doing it. I'm like, okay, it's your choice. Uh, but yeah, so I, I like that one. I, th- I thought the Clapton one was interesting too, but uh, that one, uh, yeah. I'd say those two. I'm not. I'm not ready to say uh, D'Angelo is is so near and dear to my heart. People kept saying that one. Um, I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to say that because I I, just, I revere D'Angelo so much. And Harden's never been my favorite player. You know, I liked him a lot, lot better before his Helio centric phase. To be honest with you. And you didn't like that Radiohead was getting nominated so much, right? <laughs> yeah, because every single Radiohead album is good. So yeah, I had a big problem with that. <laughs> and then and then people started messing with me. I was just like, I just don't, I don't. Sir Sohi and I got in an argument about Radiohead on our show last year. I was just like, don't do, don't do it. I'm a I'm a uh, you know I'm a white guy pushing forty. Obviously, I've got strong Radiohead takes. I have a beard. Come on, what do you expect? I played a Radiohead song on acoustic guitar at a party. Yeah, of course I have. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm very very stereotyped. It, it it's accurate. So. But yeah, every single one of their albums is good. I don't. I'm they, James Harden's a horrible comp. LeBron is a comp for Radiohead, quite frankly. <laughs> he does hoops for the Ringer. Catch him there. He is J Kyle Mann on Round Mall Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Thank you so much for taking time. Thanks for having me.